Welcome to Elixir Outlaws, the hallway track of the Elixir community. Without further ado, the live recording of Elixir Outlaws. Round of applause. Mm-hmm. I like that you brought props. I, I did bring props. I don't know props. if I like this. Yeah. What? <laughs> you ready? <laughs> so where's the theme it's music? The it's the show. It's the show. You ready? Is this the right. show? This is the show. Um, so I have my coffee. You've had your coffee, yes. I just got distracted by a microphone. Uh, uh-huh. You were having a really intense conversation like two minutes ago. That's why I brought Dave. Which is why I brought Dave. Yeah. So like, do you want to fill us in on what you all were talking about? Well, just real quick, before we get started, like, oh, yeah. does anybody listen to Oh, that's a good podcast? question. Oh, that's right. Right. Oh. Okay, cool. We have, so, we have stickers for you. So those you five stickers. people are oh, going to get wait, all, all of our inside, inside jokes. jokes. Yeah. Yeah. They're all friend, friends of the show. Friends of the yeah. show. Yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, should we get this out of the way? Oh, we're not talking. We're about, not talking about that. We're not we're talking about more purely functional data structures. Really, I bring it everywhere with me. <laughs> yeah. So, so Chris made me buy this book. We Has will talk read about this it eventually. Book? Purely functional data structures. Chris calls it the Osaki book. O- Okasaki book. I, I call it Piftus. Don't buy this book. It's Why? terrible. It book is it's really not good. terrible. This is a CS degree in a book. It's I a mean, really look at this book. <laughs> <laughs> this book is not that thick. This is yeah, a very reasonable size Very book. dense. There's very little math. Th- that's true. That's, that's it's fair. really good. It is good. It's it is a good. really important book. It's not that you have a mental block. So that's why we switched to this book. Yeah. Which is kind of. It's also really good. And this is and this, this is, is harder to read. Uh, a philosophy of software design. Um, has anybody read that? Oh, cool. Yeah. Anybody, has anybody read this? You just asked. Somebody that. want to explain that? To you? <laughs> Can you explain this to me later? All right. Perfect. <laughs> and then so uh, we've been reading been... a philosophy of software design lately. So you call that a puzzle? A what? Yeah, what do you call this? Pause. You call oh, that yeah. pifts, you call this pause. A pause. A pause. Yeah. Okay, pause. Just check it. It is kind of a pause from that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anna and I walk into the back. Yeah, I was I was um theoretically prepping my talk that I have to give later. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Right. But I wasn't. I mean, what was actually happening was we were talking about this book. Well, I was talking at Dave about this book. This, wait, you that's were how the podcast normally goes. Chris <laughs> talks at Chris us. talks and Amos and I are like, wait, uh, may, uh, no, just kidding. And we were talking about this idea of skipping over the part where yeah. criticize me. It's, it's easier when we, so like this is the first time we've ever been in the same room as we record this, which is uh, awkward. Um, <laughs> I normally just look straight ahead and I can see everybody. I mute yeah. them through most of it. <laughs> And he needs the space to, to hear himself. Talk. I know. Yeah. yeah, and I have pants on, which is oh, yeah. weird because normally it's just a video screen. Uh, we even we were talking about this book, and we were talking about this idea that uh, Dave, that you've talked about uh, at other conferences and stuff like this, about this notion of doing componentized design in Elixir. I was talking a little bit about one of the the metaphors um, that, that really resonated with me when I read what we call a paused, a paused, When I read a paused. Uh, which was this notion of creating modules that are deep in nature. Uh, where deep is, where deep means that you have a very um, small interface and what you're getting out of that depth is like a lot of power. It's handling a lot of things for you and it's giving you a lot of power. And so I was asking Dave, number one, like does that analogy, what do you think about that analogy? And then two, how does that, if we assume that that, if, if, we, if we get to reach a point where we think that that analogy is good, how do we apply that to componentized design in Elixir applications? Is that fair? Does that more or less catch yeah, everybody up? definitely. Okay. Yeah. And that's in contrast to, as opposed to a bunch of shallow modules that you have to kind of compose together, 
each on their own not being very powerful, right? right. Like the yeah. contrast and between the deep module it, and... Right. So how the, how the book talks about it, too, is that a shallow interface has a lot of public methods mm -hmm. and maybe a lot of stuff that you have to call to get anything done, and it doesn't do much. But a deep one has very few... The public interface is pretty slim, but does a lot. So you, you'll have fewer methods, but they are very deep. And I think that ties into the idea of being a functional language as well, because one of the nice things about a functional language is that you can parameterize what you do by passing functions in. So your strategy, if you like, can be functions that you pass in. And this allows you to keep the surface area of your individual, what you want to call them, components, modules, whatever, pretty small, but still be extendable. Because I think that's the key, is that quite often when people think components, they think self-contained, closed, little module. But I don't think that's what he's... I haven't actually read the book, I've just put it in your description, but I think the idea is that what we're looking for instead is controlled composability, of being able to chop things off and then put them together in interesting different ways. Right about the time that y'all walked in, I described you know, the notion of, well, if we had this one, let's say a data abstraction layer that like, let you talk to databases, I don't know what kind of libraries and Elixir would do that. Um, uh, that Plasm. Yeah, Plasm. I know, yeah, it'd be great. Uh, so if you had a library that lets you do that, then you could, and all it did was sort of let you talk to databases, then on top of that, you could layer on this, you know, a, a higher abstraction that handled things like validations and stuff, and, and you pushed back on that. Right, uh, I pushed back on the idea of layer, because mm -hmm. to me, whenever you talk about layering, what you're talking about is building on top of, which means you're coupling, yeah? And so if you had your abstract, non-existent database query library that right. we're talking about, and then we split out from that abstract, non-existent library, things like validations and updates and all this kind of stuff. We just kept it as a pure query library. And then if you start building things on top of it, then it's really no different to building things on the side of it. You still end up with, by the top layer, which is the layer people will use, you still have a monolith, it's just less efficient. Mm -hmm. Whereas if instead you say, well, to me, the idea is you're building abstractions and you're keeping them separate because self-contained abstractions are easy to deal with, right? Mm -hmm. So if you had your query library and then you had your validation thing, then how are they going to talk? Well, right now, they're intimate. In fact, they're intimate all the way through to, say, Phoenix. Oh, sorry, a mythical web front end, right? <laughs> so you have everything all kind of coupled together, whereas if we were to talk about small modules of abstraction, then we'd have the query library, we'd have the library that did validation, and then we'd say, okay, well, how are the two of them going to talk to each other? And we would, because we were thinking about this in terms of abstractions and components, we would not link them together directly. But instead, we would think about abstractions. And what's the rule when you want to, two things to talk? They talk through a higher level abstraction, always. So you would introduce the abstraction, which was some kind of data transport thing or data definition thing. And now, suddenly, not only do you have your queries and your um, forms, but guess what? You've just introduced validations to it because that's what that extra abstraction is. But the cool thing is, that's now independent as is the form stuff, as is the query stuff, as is the web thing. And so they're all mix and match. If you don't like this, you can just switch it out for something different. And so that's, I think, thinking about using some of the good OO principles to apply. In my talk tomorrow, I'm going to talk about how I think we are actually a better OO language than most. Mm -hmm. And we should be applying OO principles right. to what we do. Mm -hmm. And so the ideas of um, always abstracting off is, I think, a good solid principle that we can apply. We do it not just at the function level, but also at the module and component level. So I think I struggle with this a little bit because I 
have this intuition that if we've built a higher level, if we've built a validation thing, say we've built a way to express data structures and validations about those data structures, in many ways, I don't know how I feel about this, but my intuition is that you, if you're using that API, you actually don't want to know anything about how those get transformed into queries. Because the minute you have to know about how those things get transformed into queries, or the minute you have to care about the queries themselves, and you have to juggle both those worlds, is where you start to add Cognitive yeah, com complexity. Because well, now I, you've got mental overhead and kinescence and all this kind of stuff. Like you have to understand how those things like work in collaboration. And I think in a lot of ways, I think that's why I use the sort of uh, notion of, of layering. Because like in a lot of ways, I'm not sure that you can get away with building a powerful module in practice that isn't coupled to the underlying implementation. So if I built a validation schema um, expressive thing, on top of queries, I think that's naturally going to be coupled in that way in order for it to be powerful. If that makes sense, I don't think so. Because well, no, I mean, I I, I know you're, I, I know what you're saying, right? Um, but at the same time, I can think of quite a few counterexamples where you can build on abstractions that you don't know how they work. We do it all the mm -hmm. time. I mean, mm -hmm. I have no idea how maps are implemented, but I've got this, a book. Right here. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. The answer is uh, I'm prepared to lay odds that your Erlang implementation is not going to that. Anyway, um, so uh, in this particular case, think about the queries things, right? The query actually does not interact with the data store, mm -hmm. right? All query does is populate the data store. So I think what you'd have is you would have a query module which was provided ideally at runtime it was parameterized with a database adapter and the data store adapter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And both of them just obey a very simple interface, because remember, we're always talking about minimal surface area interfaces. Right. So we have two very simple interfaces. When you bring it up, it's kind of dependency injection, but without all the crap, right? <laughs> and you, you bring it up, you give it those two modules, and that way you can have a Postgres with what we're talking about validations, right? A Postgres with strict validations, mm -hmm. or you could have a MySQL with no validations, or you could have a uh, Redis with Lord knows what, you know? But <laughs> you can, yeah, yeah, nothing, nothing. yeah. yeah. You could, there's Lua in there somewhere. Deliberate, deliberate corruption <laughs> validations, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> whatever you whatever do. The, whatever the whatever validation the, yeah. is that throws all your data away. Uh -huh. right. Oh, yeah. it's, yeah. it's called MongoDB. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. that's the Mongo <laughs> validation? <laughs> Slash Ouch. dev slash null. Yeah, <laughs> right. But all I'm saying is, is by doing that, right, suddenly you've gone from a monolith where you take it or leave it mm -hmm. into you get control. And it doesn't have to be that you, you know, with sensible defaults, mm -hmm. you don't have to think about that. Mm -hmm. But if you wanted to, like there's a couple of times where I've wanted to break out validations. Right. You know, and I can't do it really easily. Um, I'd like to break out form data, and I can't do it very easily. So if I could just plug these things in, if we design software in such a way that all of these concerns become pluggable, become independent modules, like you say, with very small surface areas, it makes them easy to replace. Uh, I think we're in a lot more powerful position, and we are uniquely in a position to do that in Elixir. There's not many languages that will let you do that. Yeah, I think, I think that's the key. Um, this runtime, I mean, that's the thing that keeps me in Elixir more than anything else is is the is what we get from this runtime because it's just better than anything else I've worked on. Like the runtime just gives us more. I think. I think the runtime, but also I think there's a a sense of possibility in the community as a whole, um, which is uh, 
to be honest, it feels a lot like Ruby felt back in 2002 or three. Mm -hmm. um, there's energy, we can do things differently, mm -hmm. you know? And I think one of the things that keeps me going is the ability to be basically a pain in the ass to people, <laughs> saying, you know, come on, let's, 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 you? let's make it. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, that's, this is the new softer, kinder me. <laughs> um, but just basically to say, come on, let's not blow this. Let's not, let's not do things the old way, mm -hmm. right? But let's take what we have here, which is, I, I agree with you, it's, it's probably the most potent runtime available at the moment for the today's world. I mean, the amazing thing is, it was designed back in the 80s, and now it is just coming into its own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that really says an awful lot about some foresight. It really is now, this is the world this was meant for. This is the universe that this was meant to inhabit, right? Mm -hmm. And this is the universe that this is meant to push forward. Yeah. And I think if we don't, make these kind of decisions. And if we don't take the opportunities that it gives us to do this kind of thing, we're kind of throwing away an awful lot of opportunity. How's that for responsibility? It's all your fault out there. <laughs> the world could be better except for you. <laughs> um, so the, the runtime gives us a lot of opportunity to make things more modular just in the way that it's designed and the way that you communicate from process to process, component to component. But um, in this layering and abstraction thing, when we start talking about databases, for instance, I, I have a big problem when reading stuff about this is every database library I've ever used is so thin that I know exactly what's underneath. Like the query language looks exactly like SQL. So is there, is there, are there layers of abstraction that we could really build that are, are different and are more agnostic to the data underneath and how we access it? Or are we just stuck in, in this, well, everybody knows SQL to, a, to some extent, so let's just make that our abstraction? Or is there what something higher? Like SQL? I, I don't have a problem with SQL, but what I'm saying. He's trying to ask, but it's not, it's not SQL. I know. It's, it's, it's about, you know, the, the interface to SQL is huge. So, but when we put an abstraction on top of it, why don't we just talk directly to it? Why do we have this abstraction that's just as big as the original and looks like the original? That's a really, that's a really, good, question. really good question. Do you have an answer? Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> Wait, that doesn't answer the why. No, okay. <laughs> I mean, seriously, why, you're absolutely right, right? There, there, it's like the original active record one of the big selling points is now you're a database agnostic. You can move between databases and not worry about it. Except for when you can't. Well, except for two things. A, when you can't, you. because in reality, it's never worked. Mm -hmm. But B, what was the problem in the first place, right? That was not an issue. I don't know anybody who ever said, oh, you know what, let's switch from this to that, all right? And actually did it just seamlessly by throwing out a module and throwing a new one, right? It doesn't happen. So that's not a problem we need to address, right? Mm -hmm. Instead, we need to think about, yeah, okay, we do need to make access to these things easier. For example, if I have to page through a table, I really don't want to write the cursor code myself. I'll have someone else do that for me, thank you very much. Right? So that's a good abstraction, I'll use that. But the real question is, why do we write our applications with a database, right? with one bloody great, complicated, interlinked, highly coupled database? Right? And then we feel the need to stick a layer of abstraction on top of that and now with context, a layer of abstraction on top of that, 
right, and have everything all linked together. Right? The reality is that's where the complexity in our applications comes from. It's because we view our data store and we view our user interfaces both as being monolith. And then we sit there and try and nicely structure the code in the middle. You can't do it. Right? Monolith shall talk to monolith via spaghetti. Right? That's the only way of doing it. <laughs> but if instead we viewed our data sources as smaller, specific functional components, dare I say service, I know, I know, I said the word, but some, maybe not, not services as in microservice, but service as in something that supplies something, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Then you don't have that issue anymore. Sure, you can use Ecto, or you could just go straight to the database, or you could use Mongo, or whatever you want to use in each individual one. You don't have to have that vast surface area of knowledge because you're doing very specialized things in each one. And then people say, well, what about transactional integrity? What about transactional integrity? If you have a transactional integrity, that means we already have a solution for that, right? Processes are transactional. So if you want transactional integrity across two different services, you put a transactional service in front of it, and now you've got transactions. It sounds like sounds I like think Chris, Chris has, has a well actually. Yeah. No, no, I mean, no, I'm, I'm, what I'm doing here is I'm building up, building up, and then we can all sit back and he can take the rest of the show, right? Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. I mean, that's kind of what happens. Yeah. I'm ready. No, I, wait I, a minute. Just, I, I, just need, I need to gird first. Let me no, just no, that's gird. fine. <laughs> yeah, pre prepare thyself. Yes. Okay. <laughs> no, I. I was with you up until the transactions thing. I, I think I think that's that's reasonable. I think I think my I mean sort of my fundamental pushback on that is um, most companies are basically competing against like most like software companies specifically software companies and that might include you know your team that you're working on internal like your big um, dark matter enterprise somewhere. <laughs> This is, I've said that twice today. Nobody's understood that term. It's like theory says that all those people exist, but no one's ever mm -hmm. seen them. So yeah. Um, uh, but like you're out somewhere and you're working on stuff, and you have internal customers. You're building a company internally, right? You could think of it in that way. Um, we can strain that metaphor enough. Most people building software to solve people's problems are effectively competing against spreadsheets. Mm -hmm. Like you have to be better than a spreadsheet. That's that's I mean, layer that's one. Yeah. You have to be better than a spreadsheet, because yes. otherwise we'll just put it in spread in Google Sheets, and we'll just or or, or whatever. You know. Mm -hmm. Side note: I had a really good idea for a startup, which is basically Kafka, but spreadsheets on Kafka. <laughs> and there you I'm, go. I'm ICOing here soon. Uh. Um, <laughs> so yeah. yeah, while Bitcoin's low, I figured yeah. I'd get in there. So um, you know, that's that's bare minimum one. Uh, and be because at the end of the day, like what matters is data, and mm -hmm. then most companies present data in a novel way. You're all, you're better than a spreadsheet because you present the same data you could store in a spreadsheet, but in like a better format or a more useful format, or allow better like interactions with that data. Is that like fair? Well, can I refine that just slightly? Of, of course. <laughs> I don't think data is worth a damn. It's information mm. that's important. And information is what you do with data. Well played. <laughs> <laughs> what do you no, say no, okay. To that? Fair. Yes. Yes. I agree. So I think in that regard, we do have to care about where we put that information and how we store it and things like transaction integrity and stuff like that. Because I don't know that processes always can, can give us that. Uh, like, and, and, and in that regard, I. I, I, I have this, whenever people talk about this stuff in context of Elixir, I have this like super knee jerk about it because, um, you know, there's, com there's all these complexities, like I don't want to be that guy, but like it's like there's all these complexities mm -hmm. with like distributed networks and, and all this kind of fault tolerance stuff and 
Like so. So don't go replace your databases with processes necessarily, please. <laughs> <laughs> let's, well, let's turn that around, right? In every application, I would say that there's probably an 80-20 rule. 80% mm -hmm. of the data is either transient or not particularly important. 20% of it is business information. So that's data becoming information, yeah? Right. So for example, Fair. session data, right? Yeah, yeah, Sorry. sure. Who gives a, a care? Um, <laughs> you can beep. This right? is a clean podcast. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. Please, please beep. beep. <laughs> um, so for example, there's been, in the old days, in the days of, of Rails, you know, we used to stick all our session data in database. Mm -hmm. and it was transactionally secure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great, who cares? Mm -hmm. Stick it in memory. Right. Right. right, stick it in processes. So I think that whenever you look at a solution like moving things out to independent components, mm -hmm. I think you have the option. Right. So you can say, this data is transient, stick it in memory. This data, I'd like to keep it, but to be honest with you, I'm, a, I'm accepting the fact it's going to get dirty over time. Right. Okay, whatever. This data is 100% mission critical. It cannot get corrupted. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. Well, you know what? Why would you take something that important and bundle it in with all the rest of the crud that you don't care about? Right? Sure. Separate That's it fair. out. Yeah, Give yeah. it separate strategies, separate rules, separate parameters. Right? Mm -hmm. That's the one that goes into multiple redundant backend databases. That's the one right. where you have failsafe. That's the one where you have audit logs. That's the one where you add extra validations. Blah, 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 blah. Right? So I think that what you're saying is 100% right, and I think it argues my point. Oh. Because I, I, <laughs> I think what it's saying is no, you, yeah, take you, take, you take that stuff and you move it out where it is secure, where it, is, where it can be nurtured the way it has to be nurtured. Right. Now, does that mean that you do transactions and processes? Probably not for that data. Right, 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 sure. So what I'm suggesting sure. is that say we had two tables, right, mm -hmm. and individually they're okay, but Together, they are important, right? Mm -hmm. Now, you can read from those tables all day long. Nobody cares, right? It's writing to them that's important. So, do we have two services, one for each table? No, we have three or four or whatever we need. There's no rule that says you have to have one per table. That's a Rails thing that we've adopted by mistake, right? We don't have one model per table. Now, I know we've got, we've been reading to contexts, which is fine, but mm -hmm. even so, there's still this philosophy of a model per table or a set of model, well, whatever, context per table. Mm -hmm. And that's not the way it is, right? So in this situation, we can have as many front-end services and as many back-end data stores as we want. They are not gonna be one-to-one. -one. And we can ensure transactional integrity when we need to. We can also ensure seriously high read performance when we need to, mm -hmm. right? The two, are, the two are conflict, the two are totally different. So you don't wanna put them through the same mechanism. Right. You don't wanna put them through the same database connection. You want to have separate. Right, right. So it strikes me that what you're arguing is very strongly to split the thing up. <laughs> I just thought I'd let them talk. I know, right? Is that what you're arguing? My wife always no, says no, that I think that's, men I think have only got like 10,000 words in them, which is why we're so sparse. So I think I finished using all of my words. All your words? <laughs> all my words are used up now, yeah. I'm going to think about it. Should we do questions? Sure. Is that a thing? I mean, yeah. Did you have more stuff you wanted to say? No, I mean, I think... I, I do you guys if, have anything? I wonder... No? Nothing? <laughs> nothing. Okay. No, you, I got nothing. I wonder... I mean, Dave, Dave said it all. Dave said everything that I was going to say. Just... My question is... A my only question I, is... I thought same as him. <laughs> same as him. Same, same as Dave? Same as Dave. He's just right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. Um, my only question is how this relates to the conversation we're having with James last week about like this is James. Right yes, here. this is James. Friend, Friend of the show. show. Friend of the show, James. We just made a new 
lots of friend of the shows. Yeah, look yeah. at all these friends of the show. Um, so I need to know everybody's first name before I leave here. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if, if there's, I mean, we talked about this a little bit last week where like there is this line of like actually being able to break things down, right? And making sure that there are like deeper, more specific things, but then a little bit about when you're coming in and you need to start working on a system and you're newer to programming or newer to the community, right? Finding that balance mm -hmm. of like, how do I get working quickly? Right. Right. I'm just curious your thoughts on how that conversation relates to the one we're having or anybody's thoughts. I, I don't know if it relates perfectly to the conversation that but we're I think, having, but, but I think it's there's some level of the abstraction there that it, in order to get moving quickly, like the more layers that you have to know beneath the abstraction, mm -hmm. the less useful the abstraction is and the harder it is to get going. So I, I don't know how that exactly relates to the conversation that we're having, unless we go back to the, now well, everybody guess, needs to well, know no, how SQL think, works but, 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 in but order the, to get but, data. So like well, the, where, the where this would go wrong, in my, in my opinion, is if you end up with, um, the, great, the great example that I loved out of that book was like Java, Java at, like right? buffered yeah. file reading, mm. um, which is like, in order to do buffered file reading, which is basically what you always want to do, you need to like get a IO reader object that you pass to a file object that you pass to like a file reader object that you pass to a buffered file reader object. It's like, it's like decorators all the way And it's just decorators down. all the way. And, and none of those are actually giving you much power. Isn't and that that's the layered like approach though? That, yeah. That, that, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that you were yeah, fighting but, for. And well, but, but, but the idea being like, that like you can't use any of this stuff uh, without having any of the other bits. When actually all you wanted to do was read, a, read thing, a file right? in a buffered yeah. fashion. And I, I, think, I don't think components like um, uh, prohibit you from doing that. And in fact, I think if you design them well and you have uh, a lot of power involved. <laughs> <laughs> I just made it out. Will you sign this statement? <laughs> <laughs> then there's more where you're getting from. Oh, nice. <laughs> then you're getting more from it. That's kind of what I was getting at. Does anybody in the audience have thoughts about what we're talking about? Or thoughts at all. Or thoughts at all. Or if you've ever had a thought, you can come up and ask us. If you need a soapbox. Yeah. Oh man. I think I think we I think we failed. I know, oh, right? I know. Brett, go make something up. Go ask us a question. <laughs> Oh, here we go. Here we go. Yes. You can you can have a sticker if you give, if you ask a question. Okay. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So I have a question about. Um, I think it was a little bit unclear when you guys were talking about how you should design, say, something that's sitting on top of a database language, right? So, you, or sitting on top of a database or a data query. And you know, the question was that was asked was, well, you, you know. What is the point of having some abstract language if it's just as complex as the underlying query language, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, even dropping out of SQL, like what would be the point of having something that integrated with Neo4j but was exactly as complicated as Cypher or exactly as specific to the thing you wanted to do or the, the specific to the underlying technology? So I guess I'm, I'm curious, what are the, if you wanted to build something that's sitting on top of data query and you wanted it to go to like two very different types of databases, how do you solve that problem where you have something simpler that has any power that would make those kind of queries? Have you ever seen, um, what's it called, Pentagon Wars, I think it is, the name of the movie? It's a, it's a fictionalized account of the procurement of the Bradley Armored Fighting Vehicle, right? It is hilarious. It's a really great movie. It's got, I can never remember the guy's name, Kerry, he was in uh, Princess Bride. Carry something or other. Thank you. Yeah, and it's the story of how they they got the budget to produce this armored fighting vehicle, and uh, it was supposed to be a troop carrier, 
right? So they maximized it as a troop carrier, so they put all this extra space in it. And then they had a meeting, and some guys said, but what happens if it comes under fire? So they said, oh, well, we're going to put, like, a, let's put some um, big guns on it. So they put a couple of 50 cals on top. But that actually loaded it down, so they had to get rid of two of the people. And then somebody said, in the next meeting, well, we put the 50 cals on top, and that's going to make it a target. So we're going to have to beef up the armor. So they put extra armor on it, and then had to get rid of three more people and whatever else, right? And so throughout this thing, there's this period of like three minutes in the middle of the film where they watch the requirements being switched 180 degrees on this vehicle, right? And the problem was they're trying to have one vehicle that did multiple things. And I think that's the same issue that you're talking about implicitly is you say, well, what happens if I want an abstraction that will talk to this kind of database and this kind of database? And then, oh, I need these kind of features and this kind of feature, right? And now suddenly you're back into active record. And I think the, the question is rather, how do we, not how do we build this abstraction, it's how do we think about doing this kind of stuff without having to put the kitchen sink into our abstractions, right? So rather than one abstraction, are there multiple? For example, the ability to read data based on some set of keys is an interesting thing to be able to do. You can do it in SQL, you can do it in, I don't know, anything, just about, right? Uh, that might be an abstraction. Right? We don't necessarily have to have, just because the database lets us do a thousand and one wild things, we don't have to actually write an abstraction that gives us all of those thousand and one things. Keep it simple, keep it exactly what we want, keep it focused, and I think life gets easier. And particularly if, as a community, we can come up with ways of, I don't want to use the word specifying, but describing what our abstractions do, then it would make it a lot easier to find what we're looking for and apply it. I'm just, I'm just really sick of having to spend a week learning a brand new thing. I, I think I have, like, I think there's merit in having, if you're talking about, you know, data access, like, specific, like, if, you're being, if we're being concrete about that, I think there's merit in having a unified way to, to do that. And, and specifically, it sounded like you were asking about, like, how, like, is there benefit and value to having a way to compose queries? I, I think that there is. I don't know that I would be the right person to do the design of that necessarily, but I, I do think that there's power in that because what that provides to you is, as like the end user of that is a unified way to talk about data access to theoretically anything. We were talking about this earlier, um, like with Link, um, if you're from like the C-sharp world, mm. uh, you've probably heard of that. And like that's a pretty good way of like actually just interacting with any sort of data, right? I think there, there's like, there is power there. Um, and because what you're getting is you, you're providing a way to, um, if you do it, right, I should say, um, and again, this is why I don't know that I'm the right person to design these things, because uh, I probably wouldn't do it right. If you provide a way to start composing those together, there's a lot of expressive power that you can bring to bear to do that, right? Except, except in functional programming, we already have a way to do composition, and that's with functions. So what we're doing right now is we are building data structures. Why aren't we just using what's built in and building and composing functions? Because then I can compose functions both within my database layer and in separate layers. So if I have some funky query stuff that only I need to do in my application, I can compose in those functions into the general query mechanism. So I'm not trying to burn down the house, right? But I am, I am saying that we need to think about different ways of, of expressing these things. Right, sure. Right? And for example, we tend to think of things as data and code. Why? Because 90% of the people in this room come from an object-oriented background, and that's the way you've been brainwashed into thinking about programming. <laughs> right. Me too. 
Me too. It's data and code, and never the twain shall meet, particularly if you're a C++, a C++ developer, right? So it's, that's the way we think. What I'm saying is, throw that away, right? That is a house I'm going to burn down. Mm -hmm. And instead, think of it just in terms of not functions, but functionality. So when I'm thinking about composition of, of searches, I want to think of it in terms of functionality first. Then say, okay, now I would like, as a functionality, to be able to compose these things, right? So then I can add on a composition. But I'm not in any way committed to building myself some descriptor of the query that I want to make. Right? I think that's a really big mistake. Get into the habit of abstracting away strategy from implementation. So in this case, you'd be building the query in the way Link does, independent mm -hmm. of the actual mechanism underneath it. Right. right. And I think we can do that. And, and it doesn't have to look like SQL. And it doesn't have to hit another dollar. Yeah. Yep. Yes. <laughs> so, so like, instead of uh, a where clause that you're building up, you can, if you want to do it compositionally, functionally, you filter, then maybe another filter and another filter, and you can build that up over time as the as requests come in or whatever, and you, you store that that function off. And, and I think it was er Eric Meyer I've heard say, you know, that that's the big difference between functional and OO is function. It, functions are data. There's there's not this special mm -hmm. house over here that's just for the code, like you were saying. And that, that's hard switch. It's a really me. hard yeah. switch. It's uh, a really hard switch. And, and and almost everybody I run into, that's yeah. it's, it's a, a hard place to go. Most like how many how many computer science degrees out there? If you if you went to college for computer science, most of those are all OO, C very Microsoft driven. A lot of them like here's your VS Code, have fun. You know, um, and and they're all based on OO. So it it's a tough paradigm after Although many I, years. I, I actually I teach undergraduate Elixir. Oh wow! I'm probably I don't know maybe the only one. Yeah, I have a course at SMU, and you would be amazed if you catch them young enough, they jump in with both feet, because it actually, I'm finding it's way more intuitive for people to learn a functional style than it is to learn an OO style. Because with an OO style, so much is deferred, whereas with a functional style, it's all in your face. Yeah. You know, it will just happen. And so, and once you show them, like, composition and how you can build more complex things through composition. You can't stop them. I mean, they're just, you know, they're off there having a great lot of fun. So, yeah, it's, it's, I think you're right. People don't teach it, um, but there's a lot wrong with computer science education. Well, that's just one thing. <coughs> For those of us that don't, did, that did come from OO, like how do you, because it is hard, I agree with you, like how do you shift that paradigm, right? Other than continuing to remind yourself, right? Like how you do you? kill all the current programmers. <laughs> <laughs> I try to just, I try to think more than I type. That's mm -hmm. I, I think that's really should be the goal for most of us, e even if we are continuing to do OO or switching to functional. Is step back. One of the things in in uh, Apost, as you coined, that's beautiful. No, that's um, your coin. <laughs> uh, is he says design everything twice, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. even if you think you've got it designed yep. right the first time. And I the like problem that. with we have a room full of smart people here. Most people probably run into this. Is they smart people feel like, well, my first intuition was the right one, because mm -hmm. it always has been. But our problems are get are bigger and harder than than most of the things that we dealt with throughout school or even early career. And and they're continuing with distributed systems to get bigger and harder. And so let's think twice. Even if you know that the first one is right, do it a second time because you'll learn something. Well, I mean, like woodworkers say. Measure twice, cut once. Yep. 
Fred exactly. Brooks said, be prepared to throw the first one away. And in fact, I think it's actually always, it's, when you think about that, I always go one step further and say, when you design something, even down at the small micro level, like a single function, and you want to re reassess it, don't say, how do I redesign this? It's, if I was told to totally replace this with a different way of doing it, how would I do it? Yeah, and actually come at it from like 90 degrees and see what plugs in. And, and even could the contract for it change? Yeah. Like, yeah. like maybe it throws an exception now, does it need to? Right. Uh, what what weird thing can I do differently? Um, I don't know. Those just, I, I try to throw out random questions when I'm in a group doing design work and thinking about how we should design and abstract something. I I will come up with weird stuff like what if what if every parameter was a function and you, you couldn't pass it any data directly? It had to be through functions and or closures. What if we did nothing but but anonymous functions? Mm -hmm. And they're ridiculous, but you learn a lot and come up with. It, it, it changes the way you end up at your final design. Mm -hmm. We ask for questions. We have like And we have a line of people. Minutes. We have two minutes. Yeah. Brett, you putting up your fingers? Two minutes. Yep. Hi, Kevin Brown, friend of the show. Hey, friend hey. of the show. <laughs> Glad to be here. Uh, this may need to be its own episode, but I'd be interested to hear what you think about CQRS and if that applies to demodularizing or modularizing between queries. I, I missed the end of your question. Just in like the database connection to your application, what are your thoughts? Uh, that is a show, I think. Yeah, that is. You, event sourcing's good. Uh, CQRS is I'm on the fence on, and you want to make it, you want to constrain it to a very, you don't want to make it your enterprise-wide uh, way of doing things. You want to make it very small. That's and, my two-minute answer. And event, <laughs> event sourcing, it's no, no, really, we're done. wait, wait. Don't, no, no it's, it's really important <laughs> that, that thinking instead of typing, because once you have the events and the messages going out that are events, it's, it's really difficult to change yep. them. So do a lot of, of thinking and, and whiteboarding and throwing away lots of code before you ever commit to anything. Do we have time for Hannah? Along these lines of like how to design modules, uh, design in general, do you think the design needs of a programmer starting uh, are the same as the design needs of a senior person who's been programming a while? And spoiler alert, I think the answer is yes, but. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by need? Like, it are, like, so this question of like deep modules with these like really amazing high level APIs versus oh. like small, composable, whatever's, like, do those apply? Is the answer right no matter where you are in your career or level of experience? So I, my, my take, personal take on that is that one of the great ways to learn when you're just starting is by copying. And I continue to copy today, and there are two ways to copy. One is that you look on, I don't know, some somewhere, you know, Stack, source, Overflow. Stack Overflow or somewhere, and you just copy code off that. That is uncurated and typically ends up with these kind of Frankenstein projects that you don't want, right? So I would encourage beginning developers not to do that, but I still think we need to set an example. And one great way of doing that is simply to make the way we favor being the easiest way to do it. So we want to have people writing lots and lots of processes. So we don't want to have to force them to write a gen server for every single damn one of them. Now, we've got tasks, we've got agents, but we still have this big gap in the middle where you're sitting there writing handles, you know, and you don't have to. So as a community, I think we should object, uh, adopt shorthand ways, DSL ways of creating like really simple services. So for example, I mean, I wrote something called Jeeves, uh, where if you wanted to create a pooled process, it's literally one line of code to say this is a pooled process, then you just write the implementation. Right? 
That kind of thing makes it easy to code things the way we think they should be coded. So if we can come up with some kind of general agreement on how we think things should be coded, or we just have an ecosystem where it fights it out, right? and then we, just, <laughs> you know, we create these things that make it easy for people, and then you see what works. And I think that way uh, beginners get to use halfway decent structures, and as they get more experience, they learn to override the stuff they don't like, and then at some point say, this is crap, and replace it with something that they've written. I'm getting the, uh, we gotta get yeah. out of here. From Brett. Cool. Yeah. Can get a round of applause for Dave. Thank yes, you so thank much. You, Dave. Thank you, Dave. Give it up for the Elixir Outlaws, everybody. Come on, a little bit more. Come on. There it is. Thank you. Okay, thank you guys. That was a lot of fun.